really, I, I think Paul, when he wrote to the Romans, uh, there were people like Dave that just got up and recited the letter into the hearing all in one one fell sweep. And thank you, Dave, for doing that. Uh, how are you on nine? How are you on nine? No, okay. Well, if you get started, maybe we'll get to, okay. <laughs> By the time we get there, you might be ready, you know. Well, take your Bibles, and if they're already opened up to Romans 8, and that's where we are today. You know, we've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through, through the book. Today we're only going to be looking at a few verses. Uh, uh, my ears perked up when I heard those uh, recited by, by Dave. But remember last week, we uh, started, say at verse 18, For I consider the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And our focus this morning, starting at verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Father in heaven, we pray that you would just open our hearts to your word today. Lord, I pray you would encourage us. Lord, I know all of us have come, are coming through a week of, of uh, difficulties, uh, could be of sufferings, of trials, of capitulating to sin. It could be, Father, broken relationships. Lord, it could be a time of sadness, depression. Lord, whatever it might be, I pray we would find hope and encouragement from your word this morning. Open our hearts before you. May your spirit bring a sense of hope and joy in Christ's name. Amen. You know, it's hard to believe that one of the best-selling books that has found its way through Christian circles is Joel Osteen's Your Best Life Now. Uh, To date, it's sold more than 8 million copies. Really, uh, it's a warmed-over self-help book is what it is with a nice picture of the author on the cover. But uh, it's, uh, it's a book that uh, wants to give you your big dream. Every one of us have a big dream for our life, whether it's a big dream for our business, a big dream for our family, a big, a big dream for our purpose and being. And so it wants to give you that big dream picture. And so what it does is, as you read through it, it puffs you up with a sense of self-image. It'll help you be successful and popular with those around you. It, uh, it'll, it'll cause you to be able to prosper so you can replace the Ford with a Mercedes in your garage. Uh, Osteen's God is a little more than a genie that you rub. And as you rub and uh, put a smile on your face and a sparkling on your teeth, all of a sudden everything comes your way. 
It's a life without a gospel. It's a life without sin. It's a life without a cross. It's a life without redemption. It's a life without faith, and it's a life without repenting. And, uh, and where does it leave you? Supposedly, this is your best life now. But uh, the problem is this. Osteen has it all backwards. In fact, the Christian life is, is a life where your best life is future. It's not now. Your best life is future. A life of sin leads to a life of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, and it leads to forgiveness. A Christian life then enters into a pathway, and we've seen this. The pathway is, is a bumpy one. There's potholes in it. There's, there's adversities. There's pain. There's suffering. There's tribulation. There's persecution all the way into the end when you see Jesus face to face. So your best life now is nothing more than a $16 paperback that uh, gives you a broader understanding of the Christian landscape under the title Prosperity Gospel. You see, what the Christian life is, and this is what hopefully I will see this in today's passage, and it's one that if we're going to understand it properly, it's in a couple of tenses. You know, one theologian put it this way, it's the already and the not yet. We live in the already, but we don't live in the not yet. The already is this side of eternity, the not yet is that which comes. And as soon as you start blurring those distinctions and you start blurring those, those, those two tenses, you end up with a false understanding of what the Christian life is all about. There's the already. We've already been what? Justified by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We already are forgiven of our sins. We already have been clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we already have been adopted into the family of God. We've already uh, have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our life. So we have all of that. That, that. That's today. That's who we are and who we're going to be until we see Christ face to face. But there's still the not yet. And the not yet is that part of the Christian life that's future. We haven't yet to be, become glorified. We're not yet. We've, we've received a resurrection body. Not yet have we been liberated from sin. We even saw that in Romans 7. They were reminded about the battle of Apostle Paul, of the sin within him. We have not yet been delivered from pain. We have not yet been delivered from suffering. We have not yet been completely delivered from disease or death. And so we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world, in an an unredeemed body. And that's open for a lot of suffering this side of eternity. You see, the problem with the prosperity gospel is that what it tries to do is, is take its western lasso out and, and rope, rope the future and bring it into the present and, and, and make heaven here on earth rather than in the not yet. And so all of a sudden, the, the, the theology of heaven is heaven on earth. Their theology is health and prosperity in this life. And so all the heavenly blessings that Paul mentions in Scripture, all the joys of heaven, we want in the here and the now. You know, even a better-selling book is the Bible. I don't know if you realize that, but the Bible really outsells Joel Osteen every time. And the Bible message is this. 
Your best, your best life is coming. That's the message of God's Word. Your best life is still future. It's coming. You say, what about now? What about today? Well, your Christian life now is marked, and this is, I think we could give some, some testimony of this, some hearty amens at the end of the day, is, is marked by difficulty. It's marked by trials. It's marked by suffering. It's marked by pain. It's marked by disease. It's marked by death. I mean, I left here last Sunday, and in the last seven days, I can share two or three things with you that I would have never even thought of, adversities that came cascading into our own family life. And I went, where did that come from? Pains of the heart. And so this is normative. This is Christianity 101. Your life, the not yet, is a life of eternal delight. It's an eternal joy, eternal glory. But the fullness of it is yet to come. Now, last week we saw creation. We just looked at creation by itself. And we saw that uh, creation itself, and remember, we define creation as everything God has made except for humans and except for angels. So all of God's created order... uh, their relationship to, to God and, and the suffering it's going through. And what he did is he, he, he used a figure of speech we call personification, where he, he takes the world and he takes nature, takes the environment and pers- personifies it you know, so that we can understand what, what it's facing. Uh, the big problem with, with the world today, the big problem with the blue marble that's spinning around in our, in our solar system is this. It's under the curse of God. And that's the big problem with our planet and with the universe. Verse 19 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And so the creation is longing and it's stepping on its tippy toes and it's looking eagerly for when Christ will return and then we receive our glorified bodies and we enter into heaven and then they're Creation's excited because they know their redemption is coming. Its redemption is coming soon. Why? Because verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And so the, the world, the planet, the, the, the animals, the plants, uh, the mountains, uh, everything around us is, is subjected to futility. It's no longer useful for its intended purpose purposes, not because of anything creation did, but because of what? The curse that came upon creation by God because of the sin of one man, and his name was Adam. The, uh, and so he says it's under the curse of God in hope, so there's hope for creation, and that's, that's the, the already is its suffering, its suffering futility, uh, the already. The not yet for creation is when Christ comes, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And it's waiting and anticipating that day. Verse 21, And the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So until then, until that day when Christ returns, until there's a new heaven and a new earth, uh, the creation lives, exists in the already, and it's groaning. There's groaning pains of childbirth. It's, uh, there's that personification. 
we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And today we see the, the groaning pains of creation all around us. Every time there's an earthquake, every time there's a hurricane, every time the plants you get wiped out by, by the hail, every time uh, some, some disease goes through the herd of cattle and they all die. I mean, we see the, the, the consequences of the futility of creation all around us. You, you realize that the problem is not uh, global warming. It's not climate change. But the creation is under the curse of God. And it's on a pathway filled with suffering. Now that, that brings us, that's kind of a summary. That brings us to today's verse, verse 23. And notice what Paul's shifting gears here. And now he says, and not only the creation, not only the world and all the created order, but we ourselves. So now we're coming into the picture. And we ourselves are believers in Christ. So I don't know if that surprises you or not. But the life of a believer is one of groaning, pain, suffering, just like creation itself. And maybe you didn't realize that's what you were getting into when you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you believed in a Joel Osteen reality where everything's going to be heaven here on earth. But that's not reality according to the Word of God. The Christian life is a life of groaning within. And I think the picture here, even though I, the picture with creation is, I think it's, it's like a symphony where all creation is joining together in one voice, groaning in anticipation for the return of Christ. But here I think it's more individual. And individually we have times of groaning in our life as these trials, tribulations, adversities, persecutions come into our life. The... Uh, I don't know if you noticed or not, but uh, there's three groanings that are mentioned in chapter 8. We saw one last week, that is the groaning of creation. Today we're going to look at the groaning of the believers, verse 23. And then next week, there's one more groaning we're going to hear from, and that's the, the Spirit of God who's groaning. So we'll hear all three groanings that are taking place until Christ returns. And uh, because they are not groaning for their redemption we see that this does not include unbelievers, non-believers. Non-believers are not groaning. Creation's groaning. Believers are groaning. The Holy Spirit's groaning. But you see no mention of unbelievers groaning. And the reason why is because I believe that the, 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 uh, the unbelievers uh, are not waiting for the redemption. I mean, anything they can eke out of this life and find any poor, poor point of joy or happiness or satisfaction, is this side of glory. And they're not groaning and waiting for that day when Christ returns and then all of a sudden all things will be made right. No, they're, they're going to be facing the judgment and even the wrath of Almighty God on that day. So they're not standing on their tippy toes and they're not looking over the fence with anticipation for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want this message this morning to be a Debbie Downer, okay? This is not meant to be, oh, we're all Christians now, and oh, we're just going to have a whole life of suffering this side of, this side of heaven. Uh, I, I, I don't want you to hear that, even though that's part of the message. I, mean, I, I, I don't want you to think, if you're a person here and you're thinking, what is a Christian life all about? Well, it's all about just believe in Jesus and suffer, and you're going to be in pain until the day Jesus comes, and enjoy it. That's not the message of Scripture. 
Although it's true. <laughs> it's true. No, what I want us to see is, is not let's just suck it up and grin and bear it and try and get through this difficult life until finally Jesus comes. Because what we're going to see in today's passage is encouragement and we're going to see hope. In fact, the word hope, if you look down at your, your, your Bibles, in just two verses, it jumps out all over the place. Remember when we went through our hermeneutics class, we saw that when, when Paul or any other of the Scripture writers repeats himself, it's there for emphasis. This is the central, the central message that comes out of, out of this passage. Uh, in fact, in two verses, it appears five times. Hope, hope, hope. Look at verse 24a. For in this hope we were saved. Verse 24b, now hope that is seen is not hope. 24c, for who hopes for what he sees? 25, for if we hope for what we do not see. And so you can see that the, the, the central theme here is not, oh, let's just suck it up and, and let's just get through this life until we go to heaven. The central theme is one of hope, and it's a hope provided to us by God himself. Christian life is not one of despair, but God gives hope. And I'll tell you what, where would all of us be without a sense of hope in our life? If we were hopeless spiritually, I mean, wouldn't you just want to throw the towel in at that point and just give up? I'm, uh, but there's a coming glory. There's more to it than just what we're going through today. And it's a hope that comes from God Himself. Look how Paul puts it. He says, Who have the first fruits of the Spirit? And this is how hope comes to us. We, as believers, we have, this is something we already have received, the first fruits of the Spirit. This should be encouraging to us. Remember, the Christian life is the already and the not yet. The already is we have the first fruits. The not yet is the harvest is what? Still to come. It's in the future. So what does it mean by first fruits? We receive the first fruits of the Spirit. Well, I think Paul's taking us back to some of the Old Testament imagery. Passages like Leviticus chapter 23.10 speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the, into the land and I give you a, and reap its harvest... You shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. So here's an offering. And so when you go into the promised land and you plant your crops, and, and here it is now, it's, it's time for the harvest. The very first crops that come up, take from them and give those to the Lord. It, it's like God's given you that, for the first fruits, and that's kind of a reminder to you that the rest of the harvest is coming. And so out of thanksgiving, give to Him the the very first pickings. Pick the first, first of your crops and give it as an offering to God. The already that which we have seen, uh, we've already received the first fruits of the Spirit, but we have yet to receive the harvest which is yet to come. So what does Paul mean by the first fruits of the Spirit? You know, we, we see that God is giving us the, this first fruit, so whatever it is, it's coming from God. It's the first fruits of the Spirit, so I, I believe the first fruits really is the Spirit of God Himself who indwells us. And I believe that what the encouragement here is and the hope that comes from this is because when God gave each of you as believers in Christ 
the Holy Spirit who indwells you even today and will indwell you for all eternity. In so doing, that is your first fruit. And that's a reminder to you that there's a pledge from God to you. There's a guarantee from God to you. There's a seal from God to you that the very fact that you have the Holy Spirit in the here and now, in the not yet, you will have the everlasting life and the full harvest that comes from God Himself. 2 Corinthians 5 says in verse 5, He who has prepared us for the very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Ephesians 1.14 says the same thing, and we were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it, to the praise of His glory. And so the Lord has given us the, the first fruit. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He indwells us, and His very presence within us is a guarantee that God is going to carry out His redemption when He returns. The gift of the indwelling Spirit is our pledge from God that we will be glorified. So I ask you, are you in Christ? You say what? Yes, I am. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. And I said, where is the Holy Spirit? He's in my heart. He's in me. He indwells me. And if He's there, that's your first fruit, that He will return and you will be with Him forever. That's His guarantee to you. It's like an engagement ring. You know, whenever you put that little ring on a little gal's finger and, and you ask her to marry you and she says yes and you slip the engagement ring on her finger. I mean, what's that? That's a pledge. It's a promise, a promise ring. The marriage is yet to come, but you have the ring. You have the guarantee that it will come. And so we see here the same thing as with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the already indwelling us And he guarantees the not yet, which is yet to come, which is the full harvest. He's now in us, and we have adoption. He's now in us. We have justification. He's now in us. We have sanctification. He's enlightening us. He's empowering us. He's gifting us for service. All of this is taking place in us, inside of us, as a way of encouraging us. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. You think that's good? The best is yet to come. You have a pledge made by God who is immutable and He doesn't change His mind. You will be glorified. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that He who begun what? A good work in you will what? He'll carry it out. So the good work in us is what? Is, is the already. He's begun that good work in us and therefore that's our guarantee that He will what? He will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus, the future harvest. But until then, how are we to live? Remember, we have the Spirit of God indwelling us. We have His promise within us. We have the first fruit within us. We know that this life is a bumpy life full of potholes and difficulties. How do we live it? How do we get through it? How do we endure? Well, look what he says. He says, We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of as sons grown inwardly. Now, two things I see there. Until then, what are we doing? We're groaning. Not complaining, not whining, but we are groaning. 
And we're eagerly waiting. That's the second thing as Christians. We're eagerly waiting with anticipation and joy. And this groaning is inward. inward. And you say, well, what does it mean to groan? I mean, have you ever found yourself as a believer groaning, waiting for that day when Christ would come? Uh, it's, again, it's not an outward whining about all the difficulty you're going through. But instead, it's an inward working of the Spirit of God where you have an ache in your heart that you wish things were different. And you wish the future was here now. You wish that just in your heart of hearts that, that the pain would leave and the glory of God would be revealed. You wish that. And, and you don't even have words to express it. So all you can do is give out a groan. And that's what he's talking about here. Murray says the joining together here is it is not with other believers as if you're groaning together in a symphony, but individually you're crying out with sighs. I don't know if you've ever done that or not. Had that kind of groaning. Oh, I wish Christ would come. Oh, I wish I was in heaven. Oh, you know, it's, it's that groaning. So what Paul is describing here is an inward ache of the redeemed heart that can't find words to express what, it, what it's feeling. And we groan as we get older. We groan more. I, I'm, I'll testify to that. As we get older, we groan more. As the aches and the pains of this body increase, you say, my God, please, could this be the day that you would return and give me that glorified body that you promise in the Word? And so we, we groan. Or, or the pains, just the pain of life. They've become so heavy, so oppressive. You just cry out, you groan to God, God, deliver me for that ultimate salvation that's yet to come, that longing for glory. We groan in our weakness. I don't know about you, I've, this happens to me quite frequently on Sunday morning when I'm worshiping with you, because I realize this body is not capable of worshiping God the way I want to worship Him. I mean, I, it just, I, I groan when I'm listening to a sermon preached, and I know it's good for me, and it's, it's going out, and my mind is walking, working just the opposite, trying to distract me. I mean, it's, it, it's weakening the Word of God coming in and having its, its blessing in my life. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden, I'll, I'll sing, and, and the song comes up, and, and the words are on, you know, uh, Mighty Fortress is Our God, or what's the one we sang last week that, this really impacted me strongly about uh, it is well with my soul. And so there's something in me that's just, when I feel this, the words of it is well with my soul, I want to cry out with all my heart and joy to God, and I can't. This body is keeping me from expressing the fullness of praise that I feel. But I realize as I groan and say, God, God, I, that day's coming. When I receive a new body, a glorified body, and it's not going to be limited when it comes to praising Jesus Christ forever and ever, and it'll be able to burst forth with, 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 with praise to Almighty God. I mean, those of you who struggled with whether to be here this morning, and you were at home, and the flesh was winning the battle, it seemed like, well, we got a lot to do. Oh, it's so hot. Oh, you know, and it's all working against the weakness of your flesh. But in your spirit, 
You want it to be with God's people. And in your spirit, you want to break from that temptation to stay away. And, and so this battle goes on within the heart. And all you can do is groan, groan out to God, God, deliver me. And by the grace of God, you're, you're here today and hopefully being blessed by, by the word and worship. Come soon, Lord Jesus. I groan when I see the sinful state of the church. I don't have words for it. When I hear splits and divisions and schisms and arguments and fights and all those things going on in the body of Christ, I do nothing but groan in my spirit. There's not words to describe how I feel, realizing on that day, yet to be, it's not going to be like it is here on earth, but the body of Christ will be united, loving each other perfectly, full of eternal joy. And of course, I groan every time I sin. Uh, when we sin, and you got that battle going, that, that Romans 7 battle going on inside of you like the Apostle Paul did. I mean, he puts words here. He could have just wrote groan here, I think, in, in 724. But I think he was trying to find a word to communicate to us. But I'm, I'm guessing that when Paul actually felt what he's saying in Romans 724, it was nothing more than a groan. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I mean, I, I, I might have just been I was like, oh, God. But, but this is behind that groan. And every time we sin, you say, well, who's going to deliver me from that body of death? And you realize, but that day's coming when Christ Jesus will ultimately, when that battle is finally won in heaven. So you groan as you wait for the expectant glory of God ahead. Oh, to be delivered. Oh, to see Christ face to face. Oh, for Him to grace me with His blessed inheritance. So one of the things we're doing is we're groaning. The second thing we're doing until then is we're, we're waiting. And we all hate to wait, right? We're very impatient people. But as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons. So until Christ returns, we're, we're groaning and we're waiting. The already is this. The Spirit's ours. The already is that we're in Christ. We're already saved. We're adopted. We're part of the, the family of God. But the not yet, we don't have the inheritance. We don't have a redeemed body. We have a redeemed soul, but not a redeemed body. Your soul's saved, you're saved, but this body of flesh we still drag around with us, this carcass, and we're waging war against it every day of our lives. But that day's coming when you'll be set free, that final completion. Uh, you'll be like Christ. Don't you long for that? Be like Christ. Uh, up, but until then, we're on our tippy toes. You know, with expectancy and joy, waiting, looking and waiting for the return of our Lord. Now, how do we do this? I mean, how do we anticipate the return of Christ and, and do so with such joy and expectancy that, that we're just we're, we're looking every day for, for that future glory? It's only going to happen if that's real to you. If heaven is pie in the sky... If you're a Joel Osteen, this is your, your, your best life now, and all your focus is on here and now, you will not have any kind of hope for the future. 
You, you will not be looking expectantly for the return of Christ because this is all you got. This is it. Even Christians, this is it. It's the boat, it's the car, it's the house, it's the stuff. It's, this is it. And so we're not heavenly minded as, as, as we should be. But notice the tense here. He says, for in this hope we were saved. See, the answer is having real hope. Uh, if we're going to be looking expectantly, we have to do so with hope. And he says, for this hope we were saved. Now, what does that mean? The four takes us back to verse 23. The, what's the meaning here? The meaning is, uh, does it mean that you were saved by hope? Is that what Paul's saying here? Well, I don't believe he's saying that because he doesn't say you're saved by hope. He says, for in this hope you were saved. And notice the tense, you were saved sometime in the past. We know from every other place in Scripture that Paul wrote or others wrote, we're saved by grace through hope. No, by grace through faith. So we're saved by faith. But I believe we're saved in the realm of hope because that faith in Christ includes a future hope of what Christ is going to do. And so part of our salvation is God's put in us a hope, a hope for what He's going to do. And this word hope is not a crossing of the fingers. The word hope isn't uh, blowing out your candles with your eyes closed on your birthday, saying, Lord, I hope I go to heaven. That's not that kind of hope. It's stronger than that. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says it's the helmet of hope. Hebrews 6.19 says it's the steadfast anchor of your soul, this hope. A hope that enters into your inner place, Paul writes, behind the curtain. So, what is hope? Do you have hope of going to heaven? Is it this kind of hope? Or is it a different kind of hope? The hope that Paul's talking about here is a God-given hope. And uh, it's a hope that uh, you, you already, you're saved. Not yet, you're not fully saved. And your hope, your confidence, is in you will be saved. And so the word hope here is in the crossing the fingers hope. This hope is really a, a confidence hope, a, a realization hope. It, it, it's a hope that, that, that you know. It's an assurance hope. What you hope for, it will happen. It's not like, you know, I wonder if it's going to happen. It just have not ha- happened yet. So until then, you hope, but you, you hope with anticipation, with future assurance. It's confidence. Are you confident you're going to heaven? Are you confident that Jesus Christ will one day plow through the clouds, charging down here and then gathering together a people to be eternally with Him? Are you confident of that? Are you confident that this body, when it goes in the grave and becomes a bucket of bones, will one day be raised up glorious with a glorious body? Are you confident of that? It, uh, you, are you confident that all those tears that are in your eye today will one day be wiped away and there will be no more tears? I mean, are you, are you confident there's a, there's a future with eternal joy and delight seeing Jesus Christ face to face? Are you confident of that? See, here's the basic principle. Now, hope, he says, that is seen is not hope. So, if our hope is in something we can see, it's no longer hope. 
Our hope is that which we can't see. And of course, you say that's a no-brainer. We don't hope for things we can see. I don't hope for that water there. It's there. But if there was no water there and I needed the water there, my hope would be that there would be water there. That it would become a reality. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, some of you young people I'll try and bring you in here a little bit. But I don't know if you've been to Disneyland or not. But if mom and dad came home and said, listen, what is it? The end of July? How about the middle of August? Let's hop in the, in the, in the car and let's, let's go to Disneyland. We're going to Disneyland. And you get all excited about it. Okay, we're going to go. So you have the hope. Dad said it. When dad says things, he, he's truthful. And, and that probably means that we're going to Disneyland. And I have confidence that we're going to be going. And so the day comes, and you hop in the car, and you pack the, you pack the bags, and you're driving off. And, and by the way, Dad says, it's going to be a two-day trip. And we're going to stop along the way, and then it'll be a second day we'll get to Disneyland. And you're thinking the whole time when you're in the car. Now you're in the car. Your hope's really strong. And so you're in the car, and you're thinking Pirates of the Caribbean. You're thinking uh, Star Wars rides. You're thinking of roller coasters. I mean, you, you got this. The hope is just strong. And that hope remains all the way until your dad pulls in to the parking lot and he goes and he buys the tickets and he hands you your ticket and now you're standing before the gate that lets you into Disneyland. You're there. Now at that point, what happens? You don't need hope anymore. The reality is staring you right in the face. You're on Main Street, USA. And that's how it is here. Our hope is in future. It's a confidence that God is going to actually let us into His kingdom. We're going to be there. But we can't see it yet. But when that day comes, our hope is going to disappear, and our hope is going to become the reality for eternity, for eternity will be in the glory of Almighty God. But until then, now we have hope. So this is what gets us through living in a fallen, really broken world. We realize we're in a fallen, broken world. I think that, you know, I don't think Goldstein's caught on to that yet. But I think that's where you have to begin. You realize we're in a fallen, broken world. There's things that we see, and the things that we see are not at all encouraging. I mean, I see a body that's falling apart. I look in the mirror and I say, Who's that? That's that's what I see. I get sick. You get sick. You feel like you're going to die, and you will die one day. You go to funerals for friends and loved ones. They're no longer with us. I mean, those are the things we see with our eyes. We're in the not yet. And so we're in the realm of death and decay and in a fallen, broken world and pollution all around us and sin. You turn the TV on and you see some 70-year-old woman being mugged on the streets of, of New York and left to die. You go, I mean, this is the reality, what we see with our eyes. You hear about or you're experiencing broken relationships, divorces that break marriages up, that separate children from their, from their parents. What does this do? I mean, this, this, should, this is what we see. This is the world we're in. I mean, no wonder, I mean, with all this going on and in our own life, our battle with sin, 
And then, of course, from all that can come the fog of depression that can come on to any one of us. And you feel just like you just cannot do it anymore. And Scripture says, are you a child of God? Say, yeah. Do you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. He's the first fruit. He's doing a work in you to remind you that that's just a, a down, you got the down payment. You're going to get the full blessing. It's coming. Until then, we groan. Until then, we uh, uh, cry out, come soon, Lord Jesus. Until then, we have hope. The Holy Spirit brings hope that these things are real and true and will happen. But our hope is in the future. It's in our heavenly home, our glorified body, Jesus face to face, sitting on His throne. Things we cannot see except in the pages of Scripture. And then after all, we ask for who hopes for what he sees. I mean, that's so obvious that it seems like it's difficult for us to understand in the spiritual life, though. We hope for what we don't see. Who can hope for what he does not, well, for what he sees? Well, let's see if we can bring this by way of summary to us, and we'll look at one more verse as we close. This is a quick overview of Christian life. This is reality here. This is uh, just an overview. Where does it begin? God awakening you to the point where you see yourself as a sinner in need of salvation. God opens your eyes to see that Christ is the one that's come into your life and, and He's revealed Himself as a sacrificial lamb who died on the cross and you've been brought to feel a sorrow for your sins, so you repent. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're saved. And this is many of you in this room. And not only that, He's given you the Holy Spirit who indwells you, and He's there. He's living, residing in you, and He's, he's given you adoption. He's the first fruits, and He's reminding you that there is a future harvest coming. And He is your guarantee, and He is that your, your assurance that there will be glory yet to come. Salvation's coming. You know, you don't walk too far in faith. After, right after you become a Christian, how far do you have to walk? Out that door. Let's say you become a Christian. You walk out that door into the parking lot, and all of a sudden you begin to realize immediately everything hasn't become better. <laughs> I'm forgiven, yes. I have eternal life, yes. But man, it's just, I mean, my car still gets banged up as I leave and crash into somebody over on, on, on the intersection. I still get sick. I still have pains. I still have adversity. I have relational problems. I have battles with sin. I have all this going on. And I thought it was all going to get better. And it is. And God's doing that. He's giving you the Spirit of God. And, and there is a great victory even here. But the ultimate victory is still in the future. And He's given you the hope, the hope to wait patiently until that day. Remember verse 18, that's our big verse there. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth even comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. But until then, here's our last verse, 25. But if we hope for what we do, do not see, we wait for it with patience. 
And so that's our life today, patiently waiting. If we have hope in the unseen, we have full assurance of our heavenly glory that's coming, then we can confidently and expectantly and joyfully wait until that day with patience. You know, I was talking to Dave Larson, and that's what your mom's doing right now, isn't she? She's patiently, how old is she? 102? Patiently waiting for the day of redemption. You know, and she's been doing that for, what, many, many, many years. Uh, that's a good illustration of how this patient waiting is, is normative in the Christian life. I mean, you should be able to go down to the cemetery on Yellowstone, drive in there, and park the car, and get out and walk through the grave sites. And you should have this mindset as a believer. You see the tombstones. You see the graves. You see the dates of their birth. You see the deaths of the date of their death. You see the children. You see the adults. All the old people. All have passed away. And you're still in the present and one day that's going to be you there, more than likely. If you're still here, you're going to be in there with the rest of them. But you can look at those gravestones and see through them. The eyes tell us what? You die, you go on the ground, the ground's covered, the, the stone's there, and that's it. That's the eyes. But we have hope. And the hope sees through those gravestones. And what hope does, it sees to the point where we realize that, yeah, we're temporarily there. We, we realize that. But there's coming a day. And this is the hope. Christ is going to return. And there's going to be a shout of an archangel. There's going to be a blowing of trumpets. And then the Bible tells me, and this is my hope, that one day all the dead in Christ will burst forth out of their graves to be forever with Christ if they're Christians. I mean, we should go to the, the cemetery and see the victory, the hope that's coming. We're seeing the reality with our eyes, but the hope that we see through spiritualized and the Word of God is, this is just temporary. And Christ is going to return, and we're going to burst forth from, from the grave. But for now, we wait. We wait with patience. And, and by the way, the, if you do a study on the word wait there, it's... it's in the lexicon, it, it, it's full of adding to that descriptives like we're waiting patiently, yes, we're waiting with expectancy, and we're waiting with delight, and we're waiting with joy that this is what's going to happen. We're in looking forward and longing on our tiptoes. The psalmist wrote in 130 verse 5, I wait for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. And so I ask you, are you eagerly waiting? For that day, with that hope of your future salvation. Uh, by the way, this passage, you see this, I hope you see this. This passage defeats any notion of a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. Do you see that? In other words, this passage that we just went through, besides all the other encouraging truths we, we've seen here, defeats the word of faith movement. There is no heaven here on earth. We're to patiently wait with endurance through our trials until the day when Christ returns. 
There's no name it and claim it. If suffering from illness and the diagnosis is terminal, and uh, he doesn't say, claim your healing, be healed here on earth. No, there's sickness and there's death. He doesn't say, speak healing, say the words, and you'll get, you'll get healed. Give to the church. No. No, that's, that's all wrong. If you're here suffering from a broken heart, perhaps those close to you have, have just really brought suffering into your life. He doesn't say, oh, snap out of it. Look into the mirror. Put a smile. Let the teeth glisten in the light. Uh, just say what a, how, what a wonderful person you are. It'll all be better. No, it doesn't say that. If your inward heart is entangled with sin, it doesn't say let go and let God and it's all going to be well. Or if you never mention the word sin, right? You don't even have to mention the word sin. It doesn't exist. It will go away. Or if you're struggling with the fog of depression, there's a word here of encouragement. Because oftentimes depression comes with a lack of hope. You've lost hope. And remember this. Not that this is going to be a cure-all for all depression immediately, but realize this, that, that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life is there to be your guarantee of what, what is yet to come. And, and realize that He brings hope, confidence, that things will change. And things will ultimately be perfect. God's Word never says, claim your best life now. No, biblical Christianity tells you your best life is yet to come. It's in the eternal state. And so may God give you the hope and the confidence to see what you cannot see, to feel what you cannot see, so you might have full assurance that you will one day be adopted as a son of the living God and have all the inheritance of a son. By the way, just an addition there, little parentheses. And if you're really under the gun right now and the suffering is like full, full bore on you, pain is like off the chart. I know this does, might not sound real encouraging, but this is a, a biblical truth. This suffering that you're going through today, as intense as it is, adds to your future glory and adds to your future hope. It's a blessing from God. And by the way, if you're not a Christian here today, this is your best life now. This is it. Paul put it this way. I mean, if, if you're not a Christian, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you're going to die. That's what Scripture says. What hope is there there? I mean, your, your worst life is yet to be. This life's bad for everybody. I mean, there's, there's hardship for everybody in this life. But the worst life is a life when you're going to see Christ face to face. You have to give an account for everything you've done in this life. And if you're found sh- short of trusting in His Son for salvation, you're going to face the eternal wrath of Almighty God. That's the only hope that you have. And without Christ, you're not only suffering the pains of this life, but the eternal punishment of God. And I just close by reminding us that God is in this passage. Salvation is in this passage. 
The good news is that God the Father has sent His Son into this world and the sacrificial lamb who would be crucified on the cross and that all that are in Christ will be adopted into His family. So we're here as sons and daughters of Christ awaiting for our eternal inheritance. And what a glorious day that will be. But until then, hope. Until then, groan. Until then, wait with patience. And let's groan together in hope. Uh, you know, may our worship today include a, a healthy groan. I don't know where we'd put it in our order of service, but you know, may we all just cry out and, and groan before God, longing for Christ to return because we don't have words to tell how excited we are for what Christ is going to do. That's why, maybe that's why Paul used a, an Aramaic word, Maranatha, to be a groan that came out of his lips. Lord, come. Come. May that be our prayer. Father, we thank you for your word again. Uh, Lord, there's so much in this passage. It's so short, but so full and rich and pregnant with truth. Lord, it's all evidence of what you're doing in our lives that we might be encouraged to endure, but also to endure with patient anticipation and with joy for the glory that lies ahead. Oh, I try to close my eyes and imagine what it would be like to see our Lord return on that glorious day. What would it feel like, Lord, to be gathered up and to be present with Christ? What will it feel like to be eternally in His presence? Oh, I wonder at times what Jesus looks like. But I know we're going we're gonna to know Him. We won't miss Him because He's the one with the wounds in His hands, wounds in His feet, the pierced side, gloriously demonstrating Himself to be the Lamb of God. Oh, we longed for that day. Until then, we patiently wait and praise you in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.